You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Upgrade your listening with Bose Quiet Comfort Ultra headphones. Breakthrough Bose immersive audio makes everything sound more natural than ever. World-class noise cancellation gets quieter than any Bose headphone yet, and the high fidelity audio is tailored to your ears only. So highs hit harder, bass drops deeper, and you feel every note of the track. This is leveled up listening. Bose Quiet Comfort Ultra headphones. Dive in deeper at bose.com/iheart. Seeing is believing, and you're not going to believe how bright and vivid the colors are on the Samsung Neo QLED and OLED TVs powered by the Neural Quantum Processor. Because this is an audio ad, unless you can see it, which means you already have one. Nice. Samsung, more wow than ever. Dive into crime dramas on Pluto TV. Unravel the mysteries on shows like CSI and Criminal Minds, or follow the clues in Blue Bloods and NCIS. With thousands of free crime movies and TV shows, Pluto TV is the true home of crime. Download the Pluto TV app and start streaming crime now on live channels and on demand. Pluto TV. Stream now. Pay never. It's never too early to prepare your e-commerce business for the holiday rush. Whether you're shipping from your house or a warehouse, you'll want ShipStation when the orders roll in. ShipStation lets you automate shipping tasks and manage orders from one dashboard. And with enterprise solutions and discounted rates from USPS, UPS, DHL, and Global Post, it scales when you do. Set your business up for holiday success with ShipStation. Go to ShipStation.com leaders today and sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com leaders. If you've always dreamed of exploring the world, Rhodes Scholar welcomes you. Rhodes Scholar offers educational travel adventures for adults 50-plus in more than 100 countries and throughout the United States. When you travel with Rhodes Scholar, you'll be an active learner, not a passive tourist. Every day is thoughtfully planned to open your eyes to new discoveries, ideas, and people. You'll learn from local experts and meet others who share your passions. Find your next adventure at rhodesscholar.org iHeart. Before we begin, please note, 
This series includes talk of suicide and sexual violence. Please take care while listening. Do you remember this letter? I think I do. Mm -hmm. Where do you want me to start? I'm writing to you to request the following information in regards to the untimely, violent, and unwitnessed death of my daughter, Sandra Ann Beale. There's not a day that goes by that I don't think of her. This marks 41 years without her with no answers. A few years ago, Joanne Beale sent this letter to the Maryland State Police. It was later given to me by her distant cousin, who I've since gotten to know very well. I'm a reporter who covers violence against women, and I get a lot of tips about stories. Emails from people who were desperate for a journalist to dig into what they believe to be the greatest injustice of their lives. When this letter came into my possession, I knew there was something important about it. It's kind of weird in retrospect, but I immediately began storing it next to my passport alongside all my most important documents. This letter is the reason why I found myself sitting beside Joanne in her living room a year into the pandemic talking about Sandy. Well, I, and I haven't gone over any of this because I figured we're starting new here. So we'll just go ahead and throw out the questions and I'll give you what I can for the answers. Joanne is 82 and lives in rural Maine now, near the coast, in a tidy house surrounded by wild blueberry fields. She's short and sturdy, with thick white hair cropped around her ears and shiny blue, almost mischievous eyes. I come from a long line of short, sturdy women, and I was immediately at ease talking to her. These days, Joanne goes to church, shops for clothes, visits with her family. Maine is where she grew up, the place her family is from. But back in the 70s, she lived in Seat Pleasant, Maryland, in Prince George's County, with her husband Ronald and their four kids, Sandy, Michael, Stephen, and Ronnie. I kept Ronnie home from school that day because he had a sore throat and he didn't, you know. And that's when the, the, the detective came to the door and told me what, what, what happened. He said, I've got some uh, news that I don't think the little fella should know. He said, could you send him to your neighbors? And so he proceeded to tell me what, where, where they found her in this pole yard. On the morning of February 11th, 1977, Frank Middleton arrived at a utility pole yard about 20 minutes away from Joanne's home. To give you some context, pole yards are where energy companies store those tall wooden poles that are used to support power lines. This yard was in a somewhat secluded spot off the highway and surrounded by woods, which is why it was odd that there was a car parked in the lot when Frank arrived around 9 a.m. And this, this fella had gone to work and found her and he thought she was asleep until he walked up to the car and noticed that her glasses were up here and she was disarrayed and uh, he knew that she was gone. 
Sandy's car, a 1971 blue Ford Pinto, appeared to be stuck in the mud. Cardboard had been shoved under all four tires, and there were tire tracks all around her car, like she had been trying to drive away. Sandy was in the driver's seat, with her keys still in the ignition. She had been shot in the right side of her abdomen, with an exit wound on the left side of her back. She was 18 years old, just a month shy of her 19th birthday. You know, I asked that detective, I said, uh, why wasn't Ronald and I called to identify her? He said, but there was three policemen there that knew who she was. And I said, well, isn't that lovely? I'd like to know who the three cops were at the, at the scene. Because that, when that detective told me that, I was furious that we were not called immediately to claim her in any way, shape, or form. We didn't get a chance to see her until she was in the uh, funeral parlor. I've never gotten over that, and I was really ripped shit about that. Just a few hours after Sandy's body was discovered, Joanne got a knock at the door. A detective told her that Sandy was dead and that it appeared she had taken her own life. In the short time between finding Sandy's body and notifying her family, the cops had already developed a working theory. Sandy had died by suicide. I didn't take any of their crap because I could tell that they were hiding something. I said, you know something? You can put any damn thing you want down. That doesn't mean that happened that way. And I said, you'll never make me and my family and my friends believe that. So I said, get the hell out of my house. And, uh, and I wasn't very nice to them because I think they were skunking us all the way around. From iHeartRadio, I'm Melissa Jeltson, and this is What Happened to Sandy Beal, an iHeart original podcast. Chapter One, The Girl in the Pole Yard. This is Michael. Yes. Hi, Michael. This is Stephen. Hi, Stephen. Hi. Hey, you want a hug? Sure. All right. Bring it in. How you doing? Nice to meet you. I wanted to meet with the Beale family as a whole to learn more about Sandy. When we first sat down, I didn't really know anything about Sandy's case, except for what was in Joanne's letter. But I soon learned that the entire Beale family shared Joanne's suspicions. None of them believed Sandy had died by suicide. Not back then, and not now. I met them at Michael's house in the summer of 2021. To give you a quick sketch of the family tree, Sandy was born first, then a year later Michael, then Stephen a year and a half after that. Bang, 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 as Joanne described it. Six years later, baby Ronnie was born. Joanne later asked her husband Ronald to get a vasectomy. All three of Sandy's brothers live in Maine, within a 30-minute drive of Joanne. Still, it's rare for them to get together to talk about Sandy. What do we hope to gain from all of this? I mean, I think that is a question everyone might have. I'd love to hear your own answers for it. Well, personally, I have no expectations. 
These are people that's waiting on the sands of time to run out on them. I don't expect anybody's going to serve a, a day in jail, not even five minutes. That's Sandy's youngest brother, Ronnie. He was only nine when Sandy died. With almost a decade between them in age, they had a special relationship. Sandy doted on Ronnie, buying him presents and indulging him in games. In turn, he idolized her. Now Ronnie is in his early 50s, and he told me his recollections of her were beginning to fade. She was wicked smart. I mean, you know, she can do anything she wanted. As far as I know, she got, always got good grades, too, didn't she, Mom? Yeah. That's Stephen, Sandy's middle brother. He's 60 and runs a printing press for the local newspaper. In his spare time, he plays the drums, though he's had a hard time finding bandmates who want to play heavy metal. When he thinks back to his time with Sandy, he remembers himself as a typical annoying younger brother, always butting heads with her. It's something that pains him now, that wasted time spent fighting. Yeah, yeah. Always look at her as, you know, the big sister is, you know, was, which is kind of weird. I mean, because Sandy, she was no, she was no, what, five, five, something like that? Five, yeah, four. she wasn't very tall. Yeah, but was, judge you, wasn't the, very tall. the mental image is larger than life. Yeah, Sandy seemed to get along okay. I mean, she, for whatever reason, you know, she, I don't recall of her getting picked on or whatever during that time frame. But then again, she, you regularly kick my ass anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of people I spoke to about Sandy mentioned this element of her personality. She was plucky, tough, and Sandy's toughness was an asset in her community. Prince George's County, where the Beals lived, is located just outside of Washington, D.C. If you're in downtown D.C., all you have to do is drive east along Pennsylvania Avenue, and you'll eventually cross into PG County. Keep driving for about 20 minutes, and you'll find yourself at the Beals' former house in Seat Pleasant. A white, lower-middle-class family, the Beals lived in a modest home in a less-than-desirable part of town. The family described the neighborhood as sometimes chaotic. Crime and poverty were concerns for residents of Seat Pleasant, and you had to keep your wits about you, they explained. Joanne stayed home with the four kids, and Ronald supported the family, working as a long-haul trucker and doing construction. He was often away from home, and money was pretty tight. He had two jobs. Sometimes he went out, of, he had a long-haul, and the other job was construction. So he was pretty busy, and so he did the uh, work, he paid the bills, I was to go grocery shopping, I was to take care of the kids in the home, and that was it. Sandy, an outgoing girl with a knack for making friends, navigated the streets of Seat Pleasant with relative ease. But make no mistakes. She would not suffer somebody being wrong to her, you know, or messing with her. And, you know, she was, you know, very smart, very pristine in her own way. But, you know, she was very fierce, I guess, was the best way to put it. She didn't like me trying to braid her hair. She hated that, even when I was a little girl. And I was so happy because I had a little girl I could braid, you know. And she'd take it out, and I'd take it back. And I, So after a while, I just let it be straggly. She was the queen. She was the oldest, and she let you know about it. <laughs> she was the boss. We all shared one room, but Sandy had her own room. And 
No one was allowed in her room but her, and unless you had special permission to get in there. That's Michael, Sandy's oldest brother, and the sibling who was closest to her. He's in his early 60s now and lives near the coast with his wife, Becky. When you get to know Michael, he has a really gentle demeanor, but from the outside, he looks tough, like the kind of guy whose foot you wouldn't want to accidentally step on in a bar. I do remember she made like an easy-bake oven, and we used to make a bunch of junk and eat it. And she had a makeup mirror and, you know, different things as a, you know, as a young girl, stuff like that. We really seldom ever thought about anything. I mean, we were just really connected. And actually, when we were, I think I was 15 or so, and she might have been 16, is when we found out she was actually adopted. Joanne got pregnant with Sandy Young around her 18th birthday. Sandy's biological father wasn't interested in becoming a dad, but Ronald, a suitor of Joanne's, who she'd written letters to while he was deployed overseas, was up for the task. He married Joanne when she was eight months pregnant and raised Sandy as his own child. When my mom told us that, and I was like, <laughs> at first I didn't believe it. I was like, what, are you kidding me all this time? My dad treated everybody equal. And then after that, I when I found that out, I was just even more in love with her, you know, as a sister type, you know, it was like, you know, wow. Um, she she asked a lot of questions like what happened, why, and, and different things like that. But the answers she got were, it was um, enough to satisfy her as like, okay, well, I mean, you know, I'm never going to stop loving my dad. And, you know, whether or not he's my real dad or not, he's he's always been my dad and he always will be my dad. So I think you know, we kind of got tighter. If anything, we've been through an awful a lot in this family. I say the good Lord was good to me to give me a life to live this long. We know what we've been through, and it's been hell. I hope they we find out something. There's no sign of identity theft slowing down, and why should it? More than $29 billion were stolen from identity theft victims last year alone. To cyber criminals, it's a success story. To the rest of us, it's a wake-up call. Your personal info is in more places now than ever, and all that exposure can make it dangerously easy to steal your identity. LifeLock makes it easy to help protect yourself by monitoring your identity and alerting you to threats you could miss on your own. And if you do become a victim of identity theft, a U.S.-based LifeLock restoration specialist will be dedicated to your case and will work to fix it. Don't wait to get LifeLock identity theft protection. Join now and save up to 25% off your first year. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save 25% your first year. LifeLock. Identity theft protection starts here. A brand new historical true crime podcast. The year is 1800. City Hall, New York. The first murder trial in the American judicial system. A man stands trial for the charge of murder. Even with defense lawyers Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr on the case, this is probably the most famous trial you've never heard of. When you lay suffering a sudden, violent, brutal death, 
I hope you'll think of me. Starring Allison Williams. I don't need anything simplified, Mr. Hamilton. Thank you. With Tony Goldwyn as Alexander Hamilton. Don't be so sad, Catherine. It doesn't suit you. Written and created by me, Allison Flock. What are you doing? Listen to Erased, the murder of Elma Sands. She was a sweet, happy, virtuous girl. Until she met that man right there. On the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. When Tracy Raquel Burns was two years old, her baby brother died. I was told that Matthew died in an accident, and no one really talked about it. Her parents told police she had killed him medical records said that I killed my baby brother. I'm Nancy Glass. Join me for Burden of Guilt, the new podcast that tells the true and incredible story of a toddler who was framed for murder and how she grew into an adult determined to get justice and protect her family. While we had prosecuted some cold cases, this was the coldest. This was frigid. But how does a two-year-old get blamed for murder? She said, we wanted a new life. You just don't know what it's like when you'll do anything for somebody. Listen to Burden of Guilt on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This Christmas... What if gift-giving looked different? What if your gifts could make a life-changing, long-lasting, joyful impact on your loved ones and for others? With World Vision, your generosity can make a big impact and grow God's kingdom here on earth. Gifts found in our gift catalog will empower children and families out of poverty for good. Discover how you can help change lives this Christmas at worldvision.org forward slash gifts that grow. Curiosity Stream is the streaming service for people who want to know more. And now, check out Curiosity's new series, The Real Wild West. Rolling Stone magazine says it's the history of the West they usually don't teach you. The mythology of the West left out a lot of the people. People said they'd never seen a black cowboy. This is the history book, but did you know about these other facts? Watch The Real Wild West now on Curiosity Stream. With monthly, annual, and bundled plans, find the one that works for you at curiositystream.com. For over 40 years, the Beale family has believed that Sandy was a victim of a violent crime, a belief fueled by the suspicion that her death was covered up. Here's Stephen. The guilt you carry around, over time, it, that shit turns to fucking anger. You get pissed. You son of a bitch, you stole from me. You stole my family. That's, that's, that's put that in the category, unforgivable shit. Sandy's sudden death was disorienting to her family. She lived at home and her family saw her every day. They were intimately familiar with her behaviors, her moods, and her values. The Sandy they knew was optimistic and ambitious and, like many teen girls her age, eager for her real life, her adult life, to begin. She was popular. She worked part-time at the mall. She didn't appear depressed or withdrawn or hopeless. Suicide, it didn't align with her personality. And again, she, being, you know, as passionate as she was and fierce as she was, 
I just would not have thought that she would want to do something like that. You know, I just I never got it. Could not wrap my fucking head around her doing that. Suicide seemed completely out of character for Sandy. And the crime scene, instead of bringing closure, just raised more questions. Police said Sandy had shot herself in the right side of her abdomen, but the teen was left-handed. The family told me how they tried to put themselves in Sandy's shoes, imagining how she would have shot herself sitting in the front seat of her subcompact Ford Pinto with a steering wheel in front of her chest. The gun would have been too heavy for Sandy to hold and fire with her non-dominant right hand. Instead, she would have had to reach across her body with her left hand to aim the gun at her right side. It seemed like a clumsy way to shoot oneself. When I was told what was happening, what had happened, I was like, there's no way. It's just, it's just no way that this could be. I couldn't believe it. Michael was familiar with the gun found in Sandy's car. In fact, all the kids in the Beale family knew about the gun. It was owned by Sandy's father. It was an eight-inch long barrel, uh, chrome black handle, Black Hawk model. Very nice-looking gun. And like I said, it was it was long, and it was always loaded with hollow-point bullets. It was actually quite something to shoot. It was so powerful that when I first shot it, I had to hold it with both hands because I didn't know what to expect out of it. It was because of their strong familiarity with the gun and its large, cumbersome quality that the Beals were convinced Sandy could not have used it on herself. It's got a lot of the, those 357s, 44s, uh, you know, they, they have a lot of recoil. It's some lot. of the largest handguns you're going to get. Yeah, you think Dirty Harry, Magnum, you know, the old movies like that, he pulls out that, it's about that length gun. Exactly. The recoil would have sent it flying. Yeah. Again, it's just physics. Her left hand would have never gone over that far to be able to do that. And the unbelievable part about her committing suicide was just too far out. The family also thought the location of the wound was strange. Why would someone intent on suicide shoot themselves off-center in the stomach? And as small as she was in the, in the size of that gun on her non-dominant hand would have been would have been really hard. I mean, if if that's what you were planning on doing was was killing yourself, that was certainly, you know, why don't you just slowly walk through a fire and see if you'll eventually, you know, burn to death. We don't know why Sandy had her father's gun with her that evening. But her family is convinced that whatever she was doing, she wasn't alone. When the Beals got her clothes back from police, they noticed that she dressed up nicely, wearing brown gaucho slacks, a white blouse, and calf-high black suede boots that her mom had given her for Christmas. Sandy's nails were recently manicured, painted with pale, pearlized nail polish. To the family, her choice of outfit suggested she was meeting someone that night. Who else, they wanted to know, could have been in the pole yard with Sandy? Here's what they think happened. Sandy was shot by someone else sitting beside her in the passenger seat. 
This would explain the location of the gunshot and the trajectory of the bullet from the right side of Sandy's abdomen to the left side of her back. It was the cardboard found under the wheels of Sandy's car that solidified their doubts. The cardboard told a story of a girl who was trying to leave the pole yard that night, not one intent on suicide. A brand new historical true crime podcast. The year is 1800. City Hall, New York. The first murder trial in the American judicial system. A man stands trial for the charge of murder. Even with defense lawyers Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr on the case, this is probably the most famous trial you've never heard of. When you lay suffering a sudden, violent, brutal death, I hope you'll think of me. Starring Allison Williams. I don't need anything simplified, Mr. Hamilton. Thank you. With Tony Goldwyn as Alexander Hamilton. Don't be so sad, Catherine. It doesn't suit you. Written and created by me, Allison Block. What are you doing? Let go of me! Listen to Erased, the murder of Elma Sands. She was a sweet, happy, virtuous girl. No! Until she met that man right there. On the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. When Tracy Raquel Burns was two years old, her baby brother died. I was told that Matthew died in an accident, and no one really talked about it. Her parents told police she had killed him. Medical records said that I killed my baby brother. I'm Nancy Glass. Join me for Burden of Guilt, the new podcast that tells the true and incredible story of a toddler who was framed for murder and how she grew into an adult determined to get justice and protect her family. While we had prosecuted some cold cases, this was the coldest. This was frigid. But how does a two-year-old get blamed for murder? She said... We wanted a new life. You just don't know what it's like when you'll do anything for somebody. Listen to Burden of Guilt on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I noticed Jacob is not in his crib. So I look in Sarah's room. She's not there. So I'm like, okay, they're not there. Unrestorable is a new true crime podcast that investigates the case of Catherine Hoggle, a mother accused of murder. I'm thinking, you know, like, what's going on? Like, this is insane. Like, where are my kids? Despite signs that Catherine Hoggle took her tiny children one by one into the night, never to come home again, she has yet to stand trial. Because soon after her children went missing, she was declared incompetent to stand trial. We have a blueprint to get away with murder in the state of Maryland at this point. In Maryland, if a defendant is found incompetent and can't be restored to competency, their felony charges are dismissed after five years. So as the clock counts down, Catherine's charges on the verge of being dismissed. What does justice look like in this case? Something's wrong here, you know, whenever a woman's allowed to kill my two kids. Listen to Unrestorable on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear the show completely ad-free, subscribe to the iHeart True Crime Plus channel, available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. Plus, you'll get ad-free access to dozens of hit true crime shows, like Paper Ghosts, Betrayal, and The Idaho Massacre.
CuriosityStream is the streaming service for people who want to know more. And now check out Curiosity's new series, Queens of Ancient Egypt. When pharaohs held the throne, their wives held the power. We see her taking precedence over the pharaoh, an absolute mastermind. All hail the queens. This is unprecedented. Watch Queens of Ancient Egypt now on CuriosityStream. With monthly, annual, and bundled plans, find the one that works for you at CuriosityStream.com. Head into Safeway for great deals throughout the store. This week at Safeway, get value packs of USDA Choice Boneless Beef Tri-Tip Roast or 16 to 20 count bags of Waterfront Bistro Extra Jumbo Raw Shrimp for $3.97 per pound with digital coupon limit two packages. Plus, get two pound packages of large strawberries for the member price of $4.99 each. Also this week at Safeway, get Signature Farms 90% Lean Ground Beef or 16 ounce packages of Genio Ground Turkey Varieties. Buy one, get one free. Visit Safeway.com or head in store for more deals. My name is Kim Parmer. I am a second cousin of Sandy Beal, and we are in the home of where the origin of all of our family began in Jonesport, Maine. I met Kim at a hotel just up the street from Joanne's house. Kim is a licensed therapist, and it comes through in the way she communicates. She makes good eye contact and speaks carefully with kindness and warmth. She's the type of person who makes you feel like you could tell her anything and she'd never judge you. These days, Kim, now 64, lives in Texas and she's got a solid tan to show for it. But she comes to Maine, the place of her birth, whenever she can to see the Beals. Sandy has a grave marker here too, and she visits it when she can. So this is a map of um, just Prince George's County and the area where she lived, and based on all the information that I have of her date books or letters or anything that had an address on it or that I could identify, I plotted it onto the map. Where she lived, where she went to school, where she died, where she worked. This was just her little world. Kim showed me the materials she's gathered over the years. Medical records, court documents, Freedom of Information Act requests, spreading them out on a hotel bed for me to look through. She's the detective of the family, inquisitive, diligent, and fixated on this idea of justice. Joanne and I just stayed in touch intermittently over the years, and they started sending me stuff. I, start, I was asking so many questions. They're like, here, <laughs> just take it. And so that's, you know, these files of stuff that I have now. Kim is the entire reason why I started looking into the story, why I learned the name Sandy Beale in the first place. She's the one who gave me Joanne's letter. And I just learned to keep Sandy's summary with me. I carried it with me all the time. So if I ever met anyone, an investigator or whatever, I, I just passed them out. I first met Kim at a domestic violence conference in Texas. I was there to moderate a panel with Lorena Bobbitt, whose experience of domestic abuse and marital rape had been badly overshadowed by the act that had made her infamous. If you don't know her story, I encourage you to look it up. Something I said that night must have resonated with Kim because immediately after the panel, she approached me. I remember going up to you afterwards and almost running up there and trying to get there before other people because I knew you were going to get bombarded with people asking questions. And I thought, well, 
who knows? Maybe, maybe she would find this intriguing. I did. As a reporter, I've written more stories than I can count about women who've died violent deaths, and I've spent time with their families as they've begun the grieving process. But usually those cases had answers, however unsatisfying they might feel. This was a true mystery, one that had persisted for over four decades. The Beale family was stuck in the unknown. I kept finding myself looking at a photo of Sandy that Kim gave me, along with Joanne's letter. It's a black and white portrait, Sandy's high school graduation photo. She has long, blonde, feathered hair with a middle part that makes you think of Farrah Fawcett. Her mouth is poised into a half-smile, and she stares off camera like something in the background amuses her. Almost everyone I spoke to about Sandy mentioned how pretty she was, especially her long, blonde hair. And while she got attention for her looks, it didn't seem to give her a big head. She was just genuinely nice and friendly to those around her. That's the Sandy Kim remembers. We didn't meet until um, we were 14. The two girls were only six months apart, and their friendship was a defining one. And uh, we headed off and went back to her bedroom like teenagers do, and we sat on her bed and we just started talking and um, just loved her from the start. Kim and Sandy met for the first time shortly after Kim moved to Maryland to a neighborhood about an hour from the Beals. The two girls spent their early teenage years going back and forth to each other's houses and trading worlds. Living in Maryland was, you know, you would think that it's this preppy kind of wonderful place with Annapolis and preppy clothes and everything. But I look back now and those are some of the most traumatic, scariest times of my life. The things I got exposed to it at that age. While Kim was technically older by a few months, Sandy often played the role of protector. I'm like trying to avoid it right now because I don't want to cry, <laughs> but I'm going to. Okay. Um, so at 14, I'm in this new school and it was exciting and everything and that, um, my mom had to come pick me up one night because I was at a friend's house at a playground in the middle of a cul-de-sac. And I'm just like waiting for my mom and this guy walks up and I recognize him because he's on the football team. He's a senior on the football team. And I, to this date, don't know how it unfolded, but before I knew it, he had his hands down my pants. And I, I just remember freezing. I mean, I hadn't even been kissed yet by a boy at all. And I'm thinking all these people, they're looking out their windows watching this guy do this to me. And I just dissociated. And so that weekend I went to go see Sandy and I was telling her about it and I was really upset about it. And she got pissed. <laughs> and she's like, I'm gonna take care of this for you. Kim told me that a few days later, Sandy appeared out of the blue. She had driven an hour to Kim's neighborhood to confront the football player who sexually assaulted Kim. Sandy was ready for a fight, but he was nowhere to be found. It didn't matter to Kim, though. The fact that Sandy showed up for her, it was enough. 
that's the the part that I remember the most. And I'm just, I never had been around anybody like that that protected me like that. She, I knew she was going to take care of me. It was a very short relationship because she lost her life a few years later. Kim left Maryland to go to college in Illinois while Sandy was still in high school. The distance led the two girls to fall out of frequent contact. Still, after police found Sandy's body, Kim was one of the first people that Joanne called to let her know what had happened. I just remember getting that call from Joanne that Sandy had died, and I just remember being shocked and like, what do you, what do you mean? You know, 18-year-olds don't die from a gunshot wound. Kim tried desperately to get back to Maryland for the funeral, but couldn't afford the journey. I remember looking into the flights, and they were way too expensive, so I looked into the train. But it was $90 from Chicago to Washington, D.C., and it, should, it, it could have just been 10000 I didn't have it. She missed the funeral, but kept in regular contact with Joanne. She died on the 11th on a Friday, very early in the morning. But she had gone out the 10th, Thursday night. So something happened, like, right at midnight. She was probably alone for eight or nine hours, hurting and shot in dark. She had to be scared to death. That should not happen to anybody. Joanne was notified of Sandy's death when a detective came to her house. He asked if she and her husband, Ronald, could come to the precinct later that day. See, when he came to tell us, tell me what happened, he said, when your husband gets home, will you guys come over to the barracks? And everything was laid out on the table. Sandy's personal belongings, items collected from her car, were spread out like evidence for her parents to see. And among her things was a letter. It was written to a man named Doug and addressed to his place of work, the Maryland State Police Department. He had a uniform on, he gave her a sweet talk, and there it went. To the surprise of her family, Sandy was in a relationship. Doug was 10 years older than her and married with a young child. This discovery agitated Sandy's grieving parents and left them with a slew of questions. But at the precinct, Joanne and Ronald were left with the impression that the investigation was basically complete. No more answers would be forthcoming. It's common for police to speak with the boyfriend in unnatural deaths such as this. When women are murdered, it's far more likely to be at the hands of a husband or boyfriend than anyone else. But as far as Joanne knew, Doug, the state trooper, was never interviewed in the course of the investigation which seemed particularly odd when you considered the location of Sandy's death. The Pepco utility yard was only a mile down the road from the state police barracks where Doug worked. And as the family soon learned, the pole yard was a popular state trooper hangout. And then the place where she died, um, that was the most revealing to see that literally they're across the street from each other, the Maryland state police barracks of the man that she was dating. And then the place that she died, that was a well-known place where police gathered to, you know, I guess, have privacy for whatever reason. 
how police do their jobs in the aftermath of an unexpected death can have a profound and lasting impact on the families of victims. Sandy's death was a defining moment for the Beale family. But what came next, what they feel was an absence of a proper investigation, compounded their trauma. Without confidence in the police, the Beale family suspected a conspiracy. A Guide for Investigators, published by the Department of Justice in 1999, explains how essential it is to ensure that the proper steps and procedures are taken at the scene of a death. Quote, Few things in our democracy are as important as ensuring that citizens have confidence in their institutions in a crisis. For many individuals, the death of a loved one is just such a crisis. I wanted to understand how the Beale family and the police could have such starkly different interpretations of the same events. This chasm, I felt, deserved scrutiny. One thing I was sure of, the Beale family, even after 45 years, was adamant that there was something suspicious about Sandy's death. And because of that, they had endured decades of uncertainty. And to be honest, I sensed it too. I thought it was strange that Sandy was shot in the stomach, and I questioned whether she would have been able to kill herself the way cops said she did. It seemed like there was more to Sandy's story than her family knew. After so many years, I didn't know what kind of answers I'd find. But tucked away in the tattered stack of papers Kim collected were clues to Sandy's past. Clues that offered me a rare glimpse into Sandy's private life. Clues written by Sandy herself. If she hadn't have written that damn note to shithead. On our next episode, we learn about Doug and his relationship with Sandy. And I speak to the detective in charge of Sandy's case. I would compare my skills as a homicide detective against anybody in the world. Scotland Yard, New York City... Anywhere, Philadelphia, Atlanta, where they're loaded with them. Anywhere you go, there's nobody, there's nobody any better. It turns out he had a lot to say. What Happened to Sandy Beal is hosted by me, Melissa Jeltson. It's written and produced by me and Katrina Norvell. The podcast is edited by Abu Safar. Sound design by Aaron Kaufman. Jason English is our executive producer. Research and production assistance by Marissa Brown. To find out more about my investigation, follow me on Twitter at Quasimado. That's Q-U-A-S-I-M-A-D-O. Thanks so much for listening. A brand new historical true crime podcast. When you lay suffering a sudden, brutal death. Starring Allison Williams. I hope you'll think of me. Erased. The murder of Elma Sands. She was a sweet, happy, virtuous girl. Until she met that man right there. Written and created by me, Allison Flock. Is it possible, sir? We're standing by for your answer. Erased. The murder of Elma Sands. On the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. When Tracy Raquel Burns was two years old, her baby brother died. 
I was told that Matthew died in an accident. Her parents told police she had killed him. I'm Nancy Glass. Join me for Burden of Guilt, the new podcast that tells the true and incredible story of a toddler who was framed for murder. Listen to Burden of Guilt on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The system's broken. I said, something's wrong here, you know, whenever a woman's allowed to kill my two kids. Unrestorable is a new true crime podcast that investigates the case of Catherine Hoggle, a mother accused of murder. Despite signs that Catherine Hoggle took her tiny children one by one into the night, never to come home again, she has yet to stand trial. Listen to Unrestorable on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear the show completely ad-free, subscribe to the iHeart True Crime Plus channel, available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. Plus, you'll get ad-free access to dozens of hit true crime shows, like Paper Ghosts, Betrayal, and The Idaho Massacre. I'm Mo Rocca, and I'm excited to announce season four of my podcast, Mobituaries. I've got a whole new bunch of stories to share with you about the most fascinating people and things who are no longer with us. From famous figures who died on the very same day to the things I wish would die, like buffets. Listen to Mobituaries with Mo Rocca on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fall is coming, and the nights are getting longer, and a strange Hollywood couple have moved into the Winchester Mystery House. If you are brave enough, you're invited to the unhinged housewarming from September 22nd to October 31st. Experience the terrifying line between reality and imagination as darkness falls and those that haunt the Winchester Mystery House join the party. Get your general admission and RIP tickets at winchestermysteryhouse.com. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.